Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor K. And today, I am, want to share my gratitude to you for joining us on the podcast, whether you're with us from day number one, the first episode, or joining us for the first time today, tuning in to the Saul Blinkoff Podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time for tuning in and showing your support. If you can subscribe, it takes a minute, just click that button. You'll be notified about all our new content that comes out every single Monday. So be sure to subscribe, rate it if you can, and share it with your friends and family if you find any value in this episode or any of the other ones. We got over 50 now and we're going strong. So thank you, thank you. And of course, I just launched a Patreon, patreon.com slash the great day podcast. Another fun and easy way to support the podcast and your support is muchly appreciated. But if you can't do the Patreon, it's okay. It's all good. Joining here right now is perfect. I am grateful for your time and I thank you for going on this journey with me. So we got Saul Blinkoff. He's an animator, director, producer who worked for and with major companies and brands that you know of like Disney, Netflix, and currently he's working on a project with DreamWorks, hashtag OMG. Beyond his accomplishments in the creative industry, something that we delve into, and oh boy, there is much we, that we unpacked around what it's like to work at Disney World, literally working at Disney World, <laughs> and the process of what it takes to become an animator and succeed at the highest level, Saul is filled with passion and wisdom, which he shares generously and with a whole lot of humor. He's hilarious. I had the most enjoyable time chatting with Saul. And so, ladies and gentlemen, kids and kids at heart, my podcast with Saul Blinkoff. Thanks for listening. We have on the podcast, the great day podcast. My day is that much more greater because we have animator, director, and producer, the one and only... Saul Linkoff here with us. How you doing, Saul? Hey, Mayor. Doing so good. And I want to thank you, by the way. This is a very big deal for me to be considered a guest on your podcast. And I followed your work for a long time. My wife and kids, we've known your videos. We've known the positivity that you're bringing to the world. And it's truly inspiring to see the impact you have. I wish that everyone, I wish 10 more people would watch what you do and realize that social devices, you know, iPhones and all this stuff is really created for positivity. And I wish you continued success because you are obviously changing the world. And it's really an honor for me to be here, especially to meet you and to get a chance to talk to your listeners. So thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, wow. I mean, just we should just touch base once a week just to get that self-confidence boost that I need every week. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And well, I, I just... came on this podcast to get the boost from you. So. <laughs> well, it's, it's mutual. So I'm okay. glad we're both getting some value from this conversation already. Now, you're, you're truly a legend. And of course, you've, you've really met, left your mark, not just when it comes to the animation and the creative side of who you are, but also your inspirational journey, which we're going to delve into. And even when you go around public speaking around the world, and now I'm sure a lot more virtually, your message is, yes, you tie in a lot of animated and, and how you, your journey through Disney, but your core, what you talk about is about being the best you can be, living a life of awesome, stepping up and, and, and truly embodying your gifts and, showing, and sharing that with the world. So you're an inspiring and that's why I was so excited to have you on the podcast. So thanks for making the time. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, so there's so much, there's so much to, to like unpack with you and your journey and, and where you're at. So, I mean, to give people some context, I know you, you worked at, at Disney, Netflix, you're currently working on a show at DreamWorks, but let me just ask you, keep things light, keep something fun. Do you have a favorite Disney film? I do. Um, I have a favorite film that I worked on and one that I didn't work on. Oh, Okay. Uh, Okay, so let, let's talk about let's actually let's talk about two favorites I have quickly that I did not work on. One of them is the movie Cinderella. Okay, oh. we're talking back in the day, old school Disney animation. And I want to tell you why. There's one moment in that movie. This girl is basically living in her house. She's a servant. She's a slave, treated terribly. She gets one opportunity to have a magic night and go dance and feel like the best side of her. You know, dance at the ball, the whole thing. And at 12 o'clock, clock strikes 12, ding dong, she has to get out of there quick. And the coach that she's in, it's golden, beautiful, turns back into a pumpkin. Her dress turns back into rags. She's sitting on the side of the road. And she takes out a glass slipper. She wasn't supposed to have that slipper. The fairy godmother said everything will return as it was. Mm -hmm. And yet she was given a gift. 
a glass slipper to remember her night. Most people in the world in that moment would hold that slipper and they go, oh my gosh, what a great night that was. How do I go back to that? How do I go back to that? How do I get that again? She holds the slipper, looks up to the heavens and says the words, thank you for everything. Wow. Like she knows she's going back to hell as a slave. And all she does is say, you know what? I appreciate the time I had gratitude. That impacted me as a kid. What an amazing moment. Let's fast forward to. I don't know if those are the words. I don't know if those are the words, but I don't think any of your listeners are going to know either. It's Swahili for I don't know the words. Okay. So obviously, the movie The Lion King. Lion King, such a powerful movie. First of all, at the time, it became the biggest animated movie of all time. But what's so powerful in that movie is it's a story about leadership and ultimately Simba who thinks being a king is I can do whatever I want. Remember when he's a little guy, he's a little cub. He's taking a walk with daddy and his dad's like, well, you know, you can do this and that. And Simba goes, the father says, there's more to being a king than getting your way all the time. And Simba goes, there's more. He thinks being a king is I can do whatever I want. And through his journey, he learns, no, no, being a king means taking responsibility for the world. And at the end of that movie, when I don't want to spoil it for your listeners, hopefully by now, 20 years later, you've all, you've all seen the movie. And if you haven't, you don't deserve to not have it spoiled. So, okay. <laughs> tell them, Saul, tell I'm them. Daddy dies. Look, it's a, ah! Disney movie. it's a Disney movie. There's always a parent that dies. Everyone knows that, right? I get asked that a lot of the parents die. I get asked that all the time. Yeah. But so daddy dies, Simba grows up. He assumes the throne. He's climbing Pride Rock, and we have that powerful music. And what's so powerful about that movie is it's not a movie about lions. It's a movie about greatness. And all of us watch that movie, and we want to be like Simba. We want to have that moment where we know that our life is living its full potential and purpose. And ultimately, it comes from the word responsibility. So that's my favorite of those. The ones that I've worked on years later, um, I'd have to say Mulan. Mulan was really a very powerful experience for me. First of all, it, it wasn't my first movie. I started with Pocahontas and went to Hunchback. And I love all those. And, and I'm grateful for my opportunity on those. But the message of the movie Mulan, how one unassuming person can make a difference. How one unassuming person can make a difference. You know, there's so, there's so much greatness inside each of us. And mm-hmm. often the only thing stopping it from showing itself is us. It's us. We don't believe in ourselves as much as the creator of the world believes in us, you know, as much as we should believe in us. And sometimes as much as our friends or our parents believe in us, but deep down inside every single one of us, we have a spark that has to come out. And Mulan is that kind of story. And it was a great time in my life. I was in my twenties. I was working at Disney studios. I had great friends and wearing flip-flops going to work every day. What a eating joke. Popcorn. <laughs> like, our animation studio was in Disney world, which wow. was just, like, oh I mean, my God, you were going to work to D- Disney world. That's where you Disney were. World, right. So I'd, I'd work animating by day and I'd take a lunch break with my friends and we'd go on star tours. We'd go on roller coasters, you know, splash mountain, come back to our desk. It was, it was what a perk. What a perk. It was amazing. It was amazing. Wow, that's insane. Like, is that is that still something that people who work at Disney, do they have access to the parks? Is that something that they throw yeah. in there? Yeah, yeah you, get, you get a pass and you get access. Uh, but please, if any of your listeners are there, do not reach out to me. I can't get any of you in for free. <laughs> okay, done. <laughs> um, there's, um, when it comes to like actually all this now, like Disney is like doing all the, the live action. They're taking all the, the animated ones. And the, Are you a fan of that? I mean, it seems even with like the Lion King, which they, still did, like, they sort of created in, in right. a... Okay, so I don't work for the Disney company right now, so I can speak completely about it. Mm. And I can tell by the expression you made when you said, are you a fan of that? You kind of squinted up your whole body, jolt, you went, fan of that? So I am not a fan of that in most cases. There's two cases where I am, in most cases I'm not. So the the live action movies that I love that they reinterpreted, one is actually Cinderella. Incredible, Mm. incredible live action movie directed by Kenneth Branagh. It came out... I think almost about 10 years ago now, a uh, beautiful movie. Many people don't know. It was one of the first live action ones that they did. And it just is beautiful music and message about goodness and giving and, uh, and, and the goodness is from within and you have to share. It's an incredible movie. And I tell parents a lot, watch that with your kids. 
you know, don't just think of movies as something you put on to entertain your kids. So now you can be an adult and do what you want to do. It's an mm. incredible opportunity that we have to share movies with our children. And I actually have a list of like top 20 movies I think are wonderful stories to show kids, you know, just this uh, on New Year's, we watch It's a Wonderful Life. If oh. you haven't seen that movie, incredible message, incredible Beautiful. movie. So movies, while, yeah, they can be dangerous if we watch too many of them. And there's still some incredible stories out there we should watch with our kids. So Cinderella, great one. Another one that we love is uh, Beauty and the Beast, the live yeah. action Beauty and the Beast. At first, I didn't know what I thought about it, but the more I've seen it, I've seen it about three times now, there's some great new songs that Alan Menken wrote. And I think it captures the tone of the original films. It doesn't have this great animation of the beast, which I love. And Glenn Keane was an incredible Disney animator uh, who uh, won the Oscar for doing the Kobe Bryant short. Um, mm, yes. that, uh, and uh, he, he's done a lot of amazing things. So he was behind the beast animation. Um, amazing movie. But the ones now, like you're talking about Aladdin and uh, Lion King, Lion King, I couldn't even get through it. I mean, I love John Favreau, Iron Man, and Mandalorian, but he did Lion King. I couldn't even get through it. And I think it was a mistake. I think it was a mistake to make live action looking animals, real animals, try to act like that. How did it loses, you yeah, it loses, it just loses, I feel like, all the personality. If you, if you choose a side, right. you know, but like if it's one side. Yeah, right. you gotta. Otherwise, if you're in that middle ground, it's like, what are you getting? Where are you going at with it? It's and it's and there's so much like fun play in the original Lion King, and it's so timeless still. Well, you nailed uh, it. You said the personality. As a matter of fact, uh, like a month after the live action Lion King came out, somebody in around the world went and photoshopped and took the live action characters and made a photoshopped version of what they would have looked like as if they were designed like the ones from the traditionally animated original film, but in a CG world. Oh. And it looked awesome. So cool. And, and you know what? This comes down to one point, which is when you're making a film as a filmmaker, you have to ask yourself the question is, why am I telling that story with animation? What can animation do that live action can't do? And you nailed it. It's personality. You know, yeah. uh, lions don't have eyebrows, but they did in The Lion King. But when they took them out in the live action one, then the personality is sucked out and you're left with just to hear Beyonce sing. It's like, there's not enough there. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You're right. Totally. Okay, great. I'm glad we're sort of, we're on the same page over there. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and, and before we move on to the, uh, one more question, uh, which Disney character embodies, I would say, your spirit? If you have to choose a Disney character, Ooh. which one would you be? Wow, I wish my kids were here. My kids would tell you that their dad reminds them of Ichabod Crane from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow because I'm a tall <laughs> guy and with big ears and they're like, Dad, you're so Ichabod. I love that. But in my head, I'm Aladdin, you know, of course. Hey, all right. Is, right? Yeah, Aladdin nails is such a smooth, um, cool criminal. Yeah, but as far as spirit, um, it's, it's an easy answer for me. It's the number one character that I love drawing. It's, it's the whole reason I tried to to get into Disney. And that is, uh, it's Mickey because mm. Mickey Mouse is, um, he's just pure and he's just optimism. As a matter of fact, um, when I was at Disney, I was developing a Mickey movie, uh, a Mickey uh, space movie that's never got made. And the, one of the challenges that we had in that film was trying to find an arc for Mickey Mouse. And then every story in film, a character has to have a change. They have to be flawed in act right. one. And corporate at Disney wasn't happy that we were going to flaw their corporate symbol, you know? Yeah, you, it's untouchable. You right. Yeah. So it was a tricky balance. But I just think Mickey's optimism. And then also, I think just because of the nostalgia that Walt Disney himself created this character. Um, first, he had a character that was, was very successful called Oswald the Rabbit. Many people don't know the Lucky Rabbit. Walt Disney lost the rights to this character. And that was his whole bread and butter was Oswald. Wow. And he was on a train ride going back home and he saw a mouse on the train and he's like, I'll do a mouse. And his first uh, name I think he had was Mortimer and he was going to be more, and his wife goes, no, 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 one it's not going to work. Mortimer. <laughs> but, you know, it's like mortuary mouse. It's like, it's dark. It's so uh, she said, Mickey, it became Mickey. And, uh, and he also did the voice for it, by the way, Walt Disney did the original voice for Mickey mouse. That wow. oh, boy. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Nailed it. Everybody thinks they have a Mickey voice, you know? You already <laughs> did. Wow, we should have thrown voiceover artists, which I think you are as well. Um, I've done voiceover. I've done yeah. some voiceover. You have. You have. And I know, yeah. Yeah, in the movie Mulan, uh, when I was working at the studio, we had, a, we had an audition to do the 
the scratch track for the character before they got the actors to come in. They wanted animators to come in and do voices. So I auditioned and I got to do the voice for the, the scratch track, the temporary track of Sean, you the villain. Should I give you one of the lines? For Please. Your okay, here we go. I, I, if I had a better mic, it would sound better, but here, here's one of the lines. A little girl will be missing her doll. We should return it to her. There you go. <laughs> Yo, Saul, that's you, a, you, you got to be able to go from Sean Yu to <laughs> Oh Boy, right? All in one. <laughs> so many characters. I can imagine what it's like when you have like those voices in your head. Like what kind of you know um, yeah. uh, meeting good, it takes place when they have. Good, good luck to my wife. She has to lie next to that. <laughs> she, doesn't know who, she doesn't know who she's next to. Okay. <laughs> So when you're a little child, um, you were watching The Little Mermaid and it changed your life. And that sort of inspired you, it says, to, to, and quote me if I'm wrong, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that that sort of propelled you to go, hey, I want to be an animator. I want to work for Disney. What was about that film? Was it your first animated film? What was it about that, that sparked your interest and your passion to pursue this life? Yeah, great question. Thank you. Um, look, you know, b- before Little Mermaid, I saw Little Mermaid in high school. But before that, you know, as a kid, I was drawing constantly. I wanted to be an artist. And then when I saw the movie E.T., I was 11 years old. That's what made me want to go into film. You know, I grew up in Long Island, New York. I didn't grow up in Hollywood. I didn't know any filmmakers. I didn't even know that was a, pos- that was a position that you could have making movies. Everyone I knew was a doctor or a business or an accountant, you know, teacher. Yeah. I didn't know you could be a filmmaker. So I'm watching E.T. I remember the credits are rolling. And uh, I remember saying to my parents, I'm like, that's what I'm going to do someday. And they're like, what, you want to leave planet Earth in a spaceship? And I'm like, (laughs) I want to work on movies. My dream was to really be a filmmaker. That's what I wanted to do. And when I was in high school, somebody comes up to me in high school, true story. And they say, Saul, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? I said, well, well, I want to be you know, a filmmaker. They go, no, you don't. Because if you want to do that, you're going to have to move out to Hollywood. And Hollywood is filled with weirdos, strange weirdos. You don't want that. And I gave up on my dream of wanting to be a director because one person told me I would end up a weirdo. Of course, today I do live in Hollywood and my four kids and wife would tell you, oh, daddy's a weirdo. So, (laughs) but at that point, that's right. But I was so impressionable. It's amazing how in life, sometimes people say something to us and it could change the trajectory of what we want because we really don't believe in ourselves. So I gave up on wanting to be a director. My parents were like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'll go back to art. I love to draw. They got me an art teacher to come to the house teaching me to draw, drawing from life, my hand from different positions. So they were supportive. They were super supportive in your, in oh, your yeah. passion towards art. Oh were, my gosh. Yeah. Did they, um, were they worried about, I mean, did you, did you, you didn't grow up religious, were you uh, no, at the time? Not no. a, I, well, look, I wasn't an, uh, religious. I was definitely a, a strong conservative Jew. You know, my parents, uh, their Jewish identity is very strong. They gave me a home where Jewish values were highlighted. Shabbat was very meaningful for us. Um, Israel was very meaningful to us. So I wouldn't say I grew up totally secular, but I wasn't as observant. I, I, I guess the difference between how I grew up Jewishly and now comes down to one idea, and that is, you know, growing up, my Jewish identity was all defined by my parents. But when I got to be a certain age, when I was actually working at Disney or Mulan, I actually asked the question of what is my Jewish identity for myself? That really pushed my trajectory into going, well, how do I fit into the Jewish people? What's my Jewish identity? And ultimately, I just define myself now, not as observant, not as any of these words. I'm a a Torah Jew that wants to grow. That's really, you know, we have to constantly look at our lives and say, how am I growing? Because as soon as we put ourselves in a box and a label and define ourselves by something we think is positive, that's it. The growth is over. You know, as soon as I think of myself as being a good person, I'm probably not going to look for opportunities to push myself. I mean, talking to you, Mayor, look at, look at the kind of work that you do. I'm sure before you went and grabbed those homeless guys and brought them to that Super Bowl party, at that moment, you already had, you know, you had people following you. You were already doing good, a lot of good out there. You were probably giving, I saw the videos, you giving pillows out to people on the yeah. train. So <laughs> yeah. you could have slept really well at night knowing that, oh, you know what? I'm already doing good. I'm a good guy. But for you, you were like, no, nah, no, nah, there's more. It's like working at a muscle. Whenever we think that we're at a certain level, complacency takes in, sets in, and we don't grow. So me, Jewishly, I'm just trying to always constantly grow. But, but to go back to where you were, yes. answer your question about The Little Mermaid just for a second. Um, after I, When I was in high school, I went back to drawing and art, and then I saw the movie The Little Mermaid. And what that did was that showed me the combination of drawing, which I loved, and filmmaking together. And I found out that Disney had a studio in Florida. I don't have to go out to LA. 
The other thing in that movie that did it for me was the animator's work, Glenn Keane, the animator I mentioned earlier on. His work of Ariel, you know, for half the movie, Ariel can't speak. So he designed her eyes to be very wide and very expressive. And if you watch her throughout the movie, how expressive her eyes are. I never saw animation like that or a character like that. So Little Mermaid propelled me uh, to just go, that, that's what I want to do. And I was very clear as a junior in high school, I knew my dream was to become a Disney animator. <laughs> wow, that's so amazing. And what a blessing to, at such a young age, to know what you want. You know, how many, yeah. how people in their in 30s and 40s are still trying to figure that out and to have such a clear idea of like, this is what right. I want. This is the clear goal. I'm that sure was, it's brought... That's yeah. a, it's a, it's a blessing to be able to like focus all your energies into that. Yeah. But along the way, did you have, I know you mentioned earlier on your friend who said California's for weirdos don't go there. What kind of challenges did you come up against? Because today you are a quite a successful animator. You follow through that dream. You, you crushed it beyond expectation. What kind of challenges right. did you come up along the way that, you know, that challenged you to say, Hey, do you want, really want this? And how did you get past those challenges? Wow. First, I've never been asked that question, and there's really no better question than the question you just asked. So thank you for asking that. Um, before I answer, I do want to just take a moment, and I, I have to tell you, while I was very lucky to have that goal uh, uh, clear and that clarity early on in my life, it never would have materialized without the support of my parents. Mm. And um, I, 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 I seriously, every day I have such gratitude to the sacrifices that they made for me. I mean, when I was interested in working at Disney, my mom took me to Disney World, walked me around Disney World just to find out how my son can work here. Amazing. Wow. And I was like embarrassed. She's going over to all these Disney people. Like, how does my son get a job as an animator? We were getting on the Small World boat ride. I remember <laughs> we're stepping on the boat. My mom's like getting on. The woman's like, how many in your party? We're like two. My mom's like, by the way, how does my son become an animator here? <laughs> Man, please watch your step. Right. The lady's like, ma'am, this is a boat ride, you know, I don't know. but there were many, many stories. I can tell you how my parents just the, the love and the support that they gave me. But, but I want to say to your listeners, if you don't have that support, if you don't have that, I get calls, I get emails from students all the time. My parents don't want me to go into art. It's a, you know, it's, it, it, they think I'm not, I'm going to end up a starving artist and all these things. I promise you with the right discipline, there's no reason that you can't achieve what it is that you want, but it's going to take an insane amount of effort. It's really a mathematical equation. A person plus an insane amount of effort will equal results. That is an equation that needs to be remembered. Anyway, but going back to your question. Um, wow. Yeah, wait. wait That's huge. That's huge. I, I, before we jump back <laughs> to that, I wanted to, I, on, that, on that point of, of support from your parents, which is such a beautiful thing. Um, I know for myself growing up, I always wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to be an actor. And I, oh. from a very young age, you know, from doing school plays and, and skits, skits on. on, on in- I think all of us listening are not surprised to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the truth. And it's, it's, it's and the show's forth 100%. And yeah. I got into directing because that was sort of my way of my ticket trying to get create my own luck. But honestly, it's always been in front of the camera, which I always felt I shined and, and, and grew. But of course, and, and no shade to my parents and from what they knew at their time, it wasn't something that they wanted to support because as an Orthodox firm Jew, how do you go to Hollywood? It's, it's known to have all this, like, it's not steeped in the Torah values or so, right. so we're told. And yeah. so it was very much deterred and it, had, it took quite a few years to work past that first from all the no's that I got throughout life, not just from my parents, but from other people to like realize, Hey, I can do this. I can make it work in my own way um, and in a healthy way. So, I mean, so that, so hearing you as and giving you know praise to your parents now as a parent do you would you support your own children i know already a few of your kids have already done some voiceover work in transylvania and 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 some other films but like would you support your kids in in the arts in if they want to pursue something like this where do you draw that line great question oh another great question and we're going to go back to your other question also your other question was those challenges i got that answer yes so as far as my kids and where do you draw the line look um Art, all arts, is a means to an end. Many people think that art is for self-fulfillment. I want to do a painting because uh, it's my outlet and it's how I express myself. But truthfully, the power of art is to always make an impact with it. There is no artist in the world, an author, poet, musician, actor, no artist in the world wants to do their craft alone. If you're painting watercolors alone and it's cathartic and relaxing, that's fine. 
but there's quite nothing like when you get to exhibit your art for another person, because ultimately the power of any art form is to communicate an idea and to get an experiential reaction from a viewer. We want a person to not know something. We want them to feel something. And that is the most powerful experience. Why? Because when we create, we are most like the creator. Yeah. Right. They say we're created in the image of God. He's known as the creator. There's no finer pleasure than when we're creating. But to answer your question specifically, as long as we do it within the parameters of those values, of those Torah values, of what's appropriate and what's not. And specifically, you brought up my kids in voiceover. When my kids were little, we noticed uh, that they were really good at doing voices and, and listening and mimicking and musical and harmony. And um, my son, Asher, as you mentioned, he's, uh, he does the voice of Dennis in Hotel Transylvania, too. He got that job when he was six. Uh, now, these guys are going to be bar mitzvah this year. He's gotten a lot older. And actually, we just got a call about Hotel Transylvania 4. So uh, his voice hasn't changed yet. So we're hoping uh, he can get that. But so for voiceover, we think it's, it's okay. And, we, you know, you have to know your kid. It's fine because he goes into a studio. It's just him and the director and us. But for on-camera commercials and television, years ago, our daughter, Meira, got um, – she was cast in a, in a major show that never got made, thank God. And I remember thinking, like, this was the greatest thing, greatest possibility for her acting career. And when we were at the audition, I remember kids her age – she must have been eight, eight at the time. There were kids her age with iPhones already and – these kids had managers and they're ordering their parents around. And, and I knew that when we looked at the contract for this one show that she would have to be not, taking her out of her, her, her private school her Jewish school and had an onset teacher, a secular teacher. And one of my friends, a uh, writer in Hollywood, David Weiss, who you may know, he, uh, he wrote Shrek two and a lot of movies. He said to me something I will never forget. He said, Saul, you are so lucky that that show never got made because the last place you want your kid being raised is on the set of a Hollywood TV show. And when he said that, I was like, what were we thinking? So instantly at that point, we kind of pulled back on our kids in the acting world and we just treat it for the ones that are interested, like an after school activity. We don't talk about it at home. We don't highlight it a lot more than any other activity. It's something to be proud of, but it's not like, wow, we don't, show them the publicity and all that. We keep them away from that. We want to keep them grounded. But um, I do think that parents listening should support their kids in the arts and just set those parameters for what values um, you want your child to embody and make sure you set up a fence because it can be very easily, it can be easily seduced by the Hollywood and the money and those things. And your values are out the window. You have to be very careful. That's a great point. I mean, that's, I think a lot of sometimes, a lot of the decisions are based out of fear. What will happen? What will it be? We don't know. But if you do some education, you learn about it and you set those parameters, you set those boundaries, one can go about, you know, achieving or supporting their children in the creative arts, but within the standards, which they uh, feel that's comfortable right. with. That's right. Like we were saying earlier, there's a lot of films and TV out there that has very good values. I mean, I've, I've gotten to, I mean, I can tell you personally for my career, I won't work on an animated show or film that I don't find is in line with my values. And believe me, I've had opportunities to work on animated things that are not in line with my values, like animated things for kids that are terrible. I won't mention the name of this one show, but I was going into, to, I was offered a director to be director on a show years ago. And I was looking at this script and the dialogue and, and the, the catchphrases and the crassness, the way that these kids were speaking to each other, I wanted to say to the show creators, would you let your kids talk like this? Really? Like this goes against everything that we try to do as parents, but keeping those Torah values. Um, there's a show I worked on, which I'm very proud of uh, called Lama Lama. It's on Netflix. And it's a very real look at the way kids are when they're young. It, it's definitely in line with those values that I adhere to. It's based on the books, Lama Lama Red Pajama. Um, also, I worked on a show, Doc McStuffins, a Disney show. It was a big show. And the goal of that show was to show kids to be comfortable when they go to the doctors. And there's a lot of good that came from that. So, um, yeah, I, I do try to find things that I'm proud to work on and things that I don't think are in line. I, I don't I don't even look at them. Fair enough. Are there I mean, we're going to go back to the challenges in a second, but are there goals that you've created for yourself that uh, that you've yet to achieve 
on how do you also, when you hit certain achievements, stay grateful to what you've achieved, but perhaps it's so easy to fall into the line, you know, in Hollywood, especially, wow. Yes. I may be a Disney, you know, animator of Lama Lama, but Oh, I didn't get that gig. I didn't get that. How do you keep grounded and, and stay grateful to, with what okay. you've got? I, I've said this before. You asked the best questions, man. <laughs> I'm telling you now. Uh, it, it's really, really simple. What keeps me grounded? Um, there, there was a story there's a story that I don't want to misquote, but there's a story told of a student that goes to a great rabbi, a great Rebbe. And he says to the rabbi, what's the greatest book? What, what's the greatest? He's in front of this giant bookcase and the rabbi has a billion books. And he says to the rabbi, what's out of all the things on this wall, what's the one that's the best, the one that helps you motivate in working on yourself and knowing how to grow in life. And the rabbi looks to the wall and says, it's, it's the clock right there. It's not the book. It's the clock. It's realizing that time is going by so quick. We don't know how much time we get in life. And life is a blink of an eye, right? Those of you that have parents, how, and you see your parents grow, you snap your fingers, right? They're driving a car. Ask someone who's 80 how fast life went. Snap their fingers. Where did it go? Um, the thing that motivates me most is not that at the end of my life, I think my kids are going to remember their dad for being someone that got his name in a bunch of Disney movies. Cause at the end of the day, who really cares? It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to get those kinds of accolades, what matters. And I hope that my kids will someday remember about their dad is that I, I tried to grow as a man, as a father, as a person, I tried to, to become a better person. Something we talked about earlier, you know, um, I, uh, I just started a podcast uh, this last week called Life of Awesome. Fantastic. It's a podcast. Thank you. It's a long time coming. It's a lot of ideas that I want to share. But one of the big ideas I just I recently shared this week is that it's not what we do. It's who we become. That's really, I think, what, what, uh, where, where greatness is. It's, it's not these accomplishments. You know, Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player that ever lived. At the end of the day, basketball is only one facet to his diamond. A diamond is bright and beautiful because of the many facets it gets. But one facet on Michael Jordan is basketball. He has another facet called fatherhood, called husband, called community leader, whatever. And those things, our careers can often, you know, we can get thinking that that's how we identify ourselves. We have to be careful. So, yes, I'm very much grounded by the fact that, you know, my Jewish identity reminds me what's important in life. And ultimately, the thing that I have left to accomplish, you ask, is I really just want to continue to reach bigger audiences. You know, I want to make films and tell stories that will impact the world in a bigger way. Um, I have some friends who are working on taking the story Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins it's a great uh, story, a great book. Many, many people have heard of it and trying to develop it as an animated film. We want to make a great Hanukkah movie out there. There should be one at a Disney level. You know, there's a lot of great stories out there. Look at the story of Rabbi Akiva. Yeah. I mean, that's on par with the story of Braveheart and Gladiator. Rabbi Akiva's story should be made as a live action movie. So I have some uh, partners we're working on developing that. The Purim story is an incredible story. So it's like, how do we take, you know, media and harness it for actually what it's intended for, which is to impact the world. And I'm talking to the man that's doing it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, man. I'm getting excited. Just hearing these ideas. That's, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, and that's, and that's hundred percent. I always looked at the, uh, these as tools and there there's conduits for us to uplift and share beautiful ideas and uplift people and inspire people. And so to hear that you're, you're, you're in the know and you're in it and you're, and that's where your mind's at is it's, 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 it's just really amazing to hear. Um, there's so many different angles I want to work this through, but I do want to go back quickly and just cover what we left open, which was on this journey of challenges. What did you come up against and how did you get past that? Yeah, great. So a couple of challenges were along the way. First of all, when I was growing up in my house, I was the best artist that lived in my house. <laughs> okay. So actually my brother would probably fight you, fight me on that because he, uh, he actually was a pretty good artist too. <laughs> 
And funny enough, I think my mom actually has more of his artwork framed than mine. But okay, that's another discussion. Okay. This every rival, we will we'll figure that out later. Um, but um, so growing up, I was, you know, I was the more inclined artist. My sister was sharp and bright and a reader and, and brilliant at math. And my brother uh, is an incredible athlete, lover of sports and amazing guy. And um, I was the artist. I was that guy in the house. But when I went to art school, I went from being the best artist in my environment to the worst artist. I'm telling you the truth. When I got to that school, Mayor, I was, out of 750 kids, absolutely one of the worst artists in the school. Absolutely one of the worst. And Disney, a member of representative from the Disney company, came to our school and he said, how many of you want to work at Disney? Every hand went up. Wow. Every freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And the guy looked out to the auditorium, was packed with students. And he said, just so you know, out of the 750 of you, maybe, just maybe four of you will ever work there. That's how competitive it is. Wow. And when he said that, I thought one thing. I wonder who the other three are going to be. Bam. Mic drop. (laughs) Mic drop. Because you know what? I say, you know, we either believe in ourselves or we don't. Deep down. And at that point, I believed in myself. But now I want to take you to the challenge. Let's fast forward two years. I try to get into Disney. I get rejected. I try a second year, get rejected. Okay. Okay. And my best friend, Andy, an incredible artist at the school, he got into Disney. He was chosen and I wasn't. He was going off to Disney World, the happiest place on earth. And I'm going back to Ohio to art school, depressing, bitter, cold, gray skies, the most depressing place on earth. Uh And at that point, I was, I felt like a failure. I was walking the halls of the school and everyone would come up to me. They'll be like, blink off. What are you doing here? I thought you got to, oh, you didn't make it. Oh, oh. Hey, where's Andy? Oh, he got in. Oh, you didn't. Oh. And I literally felt like a loser. I was known as a week earlier, a couple weeks ago, I was known as the guy that was going to get into Disney. And now I was known as the guy that didn't get into Disney, the guy that was a failure. And then I came up with the greatest tool to take that feeling of being a failure away. And for all your listeners, if you ever have a moment in your life where you're striving for something and you don't get it and you get rejected and you feel like a failure, the number one thing to do to take that feeling of being a failure away is give up. That's right. Give up. That's what I did. I gave up on the entire dream. Instead of becoming a person, instead of being a person who wanted something and didn't get it, I took away that I wanted anything. Now I don't feel like a failure. I gave up on myself because reality set in. Reality is Andy was an awesome artist and I was just average. I gave up on the entire dream. Yeah. A week later, a buddy calls me up and says, Saul, I got tickets to go see a movie. Do you want to go? I'm like, I'm not in the mood. He's like, but they're free. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. <laughs> you know, when you're in college and someone offers you free, you take it, right? Yeah. I go to the movies and I'm watching a movie. And at the end of the movie, tears are streaming down my face. I'm watching a movie about a guy who's five feet tall. He doesn't have an ounce of athletic ability. And he wants to play football at Notre Dame. What movie is it? You know? Whoa. whoa the movie whoa. is Rudy. Rudy. Okay. You got course. to see that movie. Yes. Some of your listeners are screaming at the radio. I know. Rudy, I know. Rudy, yeah. Rudy. You got to see it. It's a great movie. It's a true story. And if you were friends with this guy, Rudy, and he told you his dream was to play football at Notre Dame. You know what you would have told him? Dude, I love you. Get a new dream. He's five feet tall. He's not even athletic. And he wants to play football at Notre Dame. Not going to happen. But Rudy says, oh, yeah, well, we'll just see about that. He tries to get into Notre Dame. Rejected. Another year. Rejected. Third time. Rejected. But fourth time. Look at the movie poster for the movie Rudy. It says, when people tell you dreams don't come true, tell them about Rudy. He gets in. And when I'm watching that movie, tears are streaming down my face because I'm thinking if an unathletic guy could get into Notre Dame, then an untalented artist could get into Disney. And right then and there, I decided to never give up again. And you know what I did, Mayor? I called up the Disney studios the next day. I get this guy on the phone. I'm like, how many students did you pick from around the world? He goes, Saul, we picked 17 students for the internship from thousands and thousands of portfolios around the world. I said, can you let me know how close I was? He goes, let me check. He goes to his computer. He says, you made it to number 20. Wow. Wow. I missed it by three. Do you know how many times in our lives we could be so close to achieving something, but we feel we're miles away and all we need to do is push a little bit more. But then I asked him the magic question. Why didn't I get in? 
There's going to be times in life when we fail. When we fail, we need to find out one thing. Why? Because if you get the answer to that and apply it to yourself, you can grow. So he told me, you got to work on this more. You got to work on that more. I was pumped. I was motivated. I tried. And eventually, uh, I did get into Disney. And Whoa. by the way, Standing another, ovation. Yes. Thank you, brother. But when I got into Disney, there was new challenges. There's always new challenges. I was one yeah. of the worst artists. Again, I had to work hard. And when I wanted to become a director, I had to work hard. It's it's called life, people. If yeah. you haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Life yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a great quote that I love that says, new levels, new devils. Every time you hit a new level, it's gonna have you're gonna have a new new devil on your shoulder who's gonna you know right. whisper something in your ear or is gonna challenge you, and that's yeah. an opportunity for you to level up. Yes, right now in Disney you're like perhaps the less you know experienced animator, but here's the opportunity to be surrounded by incredible people and learn and grow and become and now become the next person. And and that's if you're, if your life's too easy, too comfortable, then like you said, you know, then you're not doing something. You know, you're not doing you're doing something wrong. Right, and you don't grow without those without those challenges. We all know that. Yeah. Right. We all know without that work, we're not going to grow at all. You right. Know? I used it's, to tell my sister, I said, if I could be at Disney someday and I could sit there and draw Mickey Mouse all day, every day, I'd be the happiest person in the world. And if I could go back now to that 18 year old, you know what I would tell him? Dude, grow up. Like <laughs> <laughs> grow up. It's not just about sitting in Disney World with flip flops and drawing Mickey Mouse. It's, it's not where I'm working. It's what work am I doing? Am I a part of something that is bringing, like we talked about, positivity to the world? That's my goal now. I just want to make sure that I take my Jewish identity and not just see myself as, you know, a filmmaker, but a Jewish filmmaker. By the way, Mayor, if you check out the first movie I directed, it was a Winnie the Pooh movie. Yeah. Winnie the Pooh's Springtime with Rue. In the first uh, minute of the movie, a little Rue jumps out of this book and he's pointing to the book and the narrator says, uh, hello, Rue. And Rue's like, is Tigger going to be in this movie? And the narrator's like, oh, yes, Tigger will be in the movie. And Rue looks up to the book and he points. And if you hit pause, you can see I wrote the name of God in Hebrew, Hashem's name, really big. <laughs> I, I, I hid that in the movie. Wow. Yeah. And there's another scene in that movie where you see Winnie the Pooh's house. Yes. So when, when, when people weren't looking at you know, people always know the Disney hides things in the yeah, movie. Yeah, right. There's always an, a Lion King and they hide certain, you, if you reverse it backwards, you can see certain right. things. Yeah. Now, some of those are real and some of those aren't. Okay. But, uh, so I'm like, you know, I'm at Disney. I should hide something. So I look at this giant drawing of the hundred acre wood where Winnie the Pooh lives with the house. And then, and when no one was around, I sharpened the pencil. I went over to, to, to Pooh's doorway and I drew in a mezuzah. No way. <laughs> it's oh, in there. You're I kidding. Yeah. Now he's not Winnie the Pooh. He's Winnie the Jew. <laughs> <laughs> so legend. Wow. Big number one Schleach right over here. That's how does that even work? I mean, I'm just curious. Like, does this like Disney finds that you have full full control? Like I, said, I don't work there anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's there, it's out there. What a legend. Wow, that's but, amazing. But for my DreamWorks bosses listening, I would never ever. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. No. all the script. You have yeah. to ask me on the next job what I hit in my dream work show. Okay. <laughs> we'll get, we'll definitely have to follow. There's so much more to do, and we have so much yeah. little time. But how much do you think is talent, and how much is luck when it comes to success, Saul? Um, first of all, talent is is. If people always say to me, you know, oh, my, especially parents, they tell me how talented their children are. Oh, my kid's so talented. My kid's so talented. Um, first of all, I, I tell art students or, or students of any, any form for that matter, be careful when you are listening to the advice of your friends and parents that don't work in that field. You know, sometimes I'll get students, they'll be like, show me their portfolio. And they're like, my parents love this one and that one. I'm like, okay. Uh, and they're like, I won this award for my, for my school and all this. And my friends love this. And I'd be like, Here, here's what you want to do find out where the school of visual arts is in New York. There's a student that lived in New York, stand outside the door and wait till like the illustration professor walks to their car and say, I'm not leaving your car until you tell me what's wrong with my work. Like most of the time people want to hear things that will validate what they're already doing. When we really need to be searching for where is it that I have a flaw? Where do I have to put my energy to grow? And talent can only get you just so far. There's definitely a natural ability, but that natural ability is usually, it's not how well you do something, it's how much you love something. It's, it's the passion you put into something. But no matter how talented, in quotes, someone is, 
Talent plus that insane amount of hard work is all that's going to make someone truly great. Michael Jordan, who I continue to reference, you know, LeBron, okay, last dance, right? LeBron, fine, but Michael's Michael, right? I grew up in the 90s, you know, but Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan because the guy took 500 jump shots every day before breakfast, and, and you'll hear stories about when they went to the Olympics, the Olympics, they knew that America, the dream team, the Magic Johnson, Jordan, Charles Bark, all these guys, they were going to destroy everyone they played with. It wasn't even a, oh, I hope we win. Of course, they're going to destroy. It was the dream team. You're literally playing against 12 Michael Jordans. And yet his players, his co-players, Barkley and Magic, they're on record to saying that while we were in Barcelona, all Michael wanted to do, other than play cards late into the night, was on weekends, whatever, day, he just wanted to keep practicing and practicing. And when they wanted to relax and chill, he just wanted to keep practicing. The summers off from the Chicago Bulls, constant discipline and practicing. How do I get better? How do I get better? So talent can just get you so far. But talent plus an insane amount of hard work, especially on the areas where we're flawed. Michael Jordan was in the NBA the first year. A sports critic comes up to him after a game and says, Michael, you're a scoring machine, but you have no defensive game. Michael says, oh, yeah? Well, we'll just see about that. He worked harder on his defense, and next year in the NBA, one player was named Defensive Player of the Year, number 23, Michael Jordan. Bam. Let me tell you, you know what Michael could have said to the guy? He could have been like, dude, I'm Michael Jordan. You're a sports writer. I just scored a gajillion points. I made a gajillion dollars playing. I don't have to listen to you. But Michael heard in his head, something I'm doing is giving that guy the perception that I don't have a defensive game. I guess I better work harder on defense. If you went over to Steve Jobs and you could tell him when he was alive how to make his iPhone better, he probably would have hugged you. Yeah. I'm sure everyone around him was like, oh, you're amazing. He's like, that's nice. Tell me how I can make it better. Yeah, That's, that's the mentality we need to have in life, not just for accomplishing, becoming our careers, but for life, mm. you know, for marriage. Does my wife tell me where I need to grow? A real friend will tell me where my limitations are, my flaws. Most people want friends around them to just pat them on the back. No, sure. that's not a real friend. A real friend's going to be like, dude, I love you. You got to be more humble. You got to work on this. You got to stop screaming, whatever. Totally. You know? What are you working on now, Saul? So now I'm a supervising producer on a, a dream. Oh, I was, I was going to go project. I was saying internally. Like, what, what, where are those oh, weaknesses? At? There oh. you go. <laughs> Forget that. Okay, good. Internally. <laughs> so uh, one, of the, one of the big challenges that I have right now is just working on, and I talked to my buddy. I know you had Charlie Harari on here. Yes. Uh, he's a good friend, uh, a mentor to me. Um, and one of the things that he and I constantly talked about and have talked about is just working on managing time. Managing time. There's so much pull. And, you know, my kids, my youngest, uh, Naomi, she's seven. Uh, then I have a, a son, Asher, uh, the one from Hotel Transylvania. He's going to be uh, 13, please God. Oh. Uh, and then we have uh, Liel, who's uh, 14, and Meira, who's 16. And it's just going by way too fast. And I, I see the window of time that I have to nurture them as a father while we're living under the same roof. It's slipping through my fingers. And one of the big challenges I have is as much as I'm doing in my professional career, whether it's my filmmaking or this podcast, or speaking, or all the things, is I, I try to remind myself to I'm not just the facet of the diamond. Those things I still want to be present as a dad. I want to be present as a husband. And one of the tools that I try to do is remember that there's these windows of time. You know, when you go pick up your kid for carpool, you're in the car for eight minutes, and as much as you may want to get, or twelve minutes, or whatever it is, as much as you want to get home faster, you're still in the car with them. So be with them. Listen to them. Talk with them. You know, when we tuck our kids in at night, we, don't just sit with your kids for a minute and get out of there and go binge watch a Netflix show or get back to your real life. But try to give our kids five, ten minutes because they'll talk about their day and their feelings about the day. So the big challenge that I have is really just managing time and trying to make sure that uh, I, I don't sacrifice being a dad along the way, you know, and try to, and that's, by the way, that's what Shabbat gives me. I mean, thank God for Shabbat. Mm. And for those listeners who maybe not be Jewish, we're listening right now. You know, the Sabbath is an incredible gift. Friday, sun, sun, sundown, I shut off my phone and I don't turn it on till Saturday night. 
And, uh, you know, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, we sit at the table and we have a family dinner and it's awesome, man. I love it. But if that phone gets a bling or whatever, or I get a work call, I got to go. That guy's got to work. Well, that's more important than anything. Right. But my kids and my wife know that on Friday, daddy's not just home. Daddy's home. Yeah. And we have a Shabbat dinner together and we're singing and telling stories and playing board games. And so I thank God for those windows of time. And that's something I'm always trying to work on is to never let those slip through my fingers and, and to embrace those, you know? That's huge. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a single, you know, I'm not married. I don't have a family yet. But what I do, what I can relate to is that, that the prison in which I view myself till now, and I'm, I'm growing out of that, but my success and my worth is always through the work that I do and yeah. through the content that I create. And I can only imagine I have so much respect for those who, are, who have that, the family aspect on top of the careers that they're pursuing because of, of, the, of the time that towards their partner or toward, to their children. It's like, oh my gosh. And I can sort of foresee, like, if I don't start putting in certain habits now and how to change my perspective, how I view life, what's important to me, it's going to so only smart. just, it's going to topple me over. You're so smart. I, you're such a rare person. By the way, any, any single women listening out there, find this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's such a rare thing. You're, you're hitting the nail on the head. You know, it's almost like, you, you know, when a, a parent, a person should start working on a parenting class or going to a parenting class before they have kids. Because mm. once you have a kid, now the challenges are going to go, you have to prep for it. You should start preparing for being a parent when you're first getting married and start establishing the kind of a parent you want to be. You should go to uh, read a marriage book or a marriage class or something, even before you're married, to start foreseeing the challenges that marriage will bring you so you can become the person beforehand that will be successful. And you just said that. You just said it, Mary, beautifully. You're like, I know I'm not married yet, but I want to start getting those habits in order now to prepare yourself because you want to build the foundation of who you are now to take you through marriage. And it's a great, great perspective, man. Very rare. It's, It's nice to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to squeeze in the, a couple more questions, but maybe briefly because I'm, the, the journey of your life is, is tremendous. But I, I am curious to know because you did not, you know, you grew up, you mentioned conservative and you, and you did certain things that were important to your, you and your family, Shabbos and whatnot. But the way you live your life today on a, on a, with your Jewish identity and you, in the Orthodox uh, way of living is very different from when you grew up. I'm curious to know, you, you, ch- had, you had the list, right? You had the sports car, you had the job, you had the amazing girlfriend who now is your wife. That's right. <laughs> what was what was that missing piece? What were you so in touch with that you felt like, wait a second, what is this is missing that I want to go pursue this deeper sense of self? You know, just hearing you say that, I literally get goosebumps because it's I remember it perfectly, very vividly. You know, it's amazing. We we may forget certain visual things in our life, details, what we wore or ate, or, but we never forget when we felt something really extreme. We we we'll never forget those feelings. Um, it's exactly like you said, I was at Disney. I had my dream. I was living on the happiest place on earth. I had everything on the list that I wanted. And the thing that was missing was just something that was more meaningful. It was really meaning. I realized it was, I wanted to explore my Jewish identity, but why? Because ultimately I was looking for something that was more meaningful. When you accomplish a task and you get to the top of whatever mountain you have in life, you're going to get up there. And you're going to go, okay, now what? I mean, picture, picture Mount Everest. You climb the mountain, you go through the training, you get through the death zone and you lose a toe to frostbite. I don't know, you know, and you're up there and then the pleasures for like three or four minutes and then you got to go. And now what? There's always going to be a, now what do I do? So for me, it was little sparks of, of, of questions I had understanding Judaism. I actually went on a trip to Israel with my parents uh, when I was working on the hunchback of Notre Dame. I was working at Disney a couple years then, working on the hunchback. I went to Israel with them and I'm walking through the old city and I walked into a bagel place called Bonkers Bagels. If anyone remembers, now it's called Holy Bagels. Holy Bagels. I know Holy Bagels. That place has always been the staple bagel place before you walk down to the Western Wall of the Kotel. So I walk in there and I'm wearing a baseball hat and I'm a secular guy and, uh, in walks a yeshiva guy who looks like he's my age, but he's wearing a New York Knicks hat. We start talking about sports and Patrick Ewing and all this stuff. And I said to him, what are you doing here in Israel? He goes, I'm here learning in yeshiva. And I, I didn't, I'm like, what are you learning for? Is there a test coming up? <laughs> you know, I'm like, he's like, no, I'm just learning. Cause I want to find out how I fit into the Jewish people. And I'm looking at this normal looking guy 
who's in yeshiva. And I'm like, I thought yeshiva guys had the payas and the tzitzes, yeah. the fringes. I didn't know you could be a normal. And when he said he wanted to find out how he fit into the Jewish people, I remember being envious. And I'm like, you know what? I also would like to find out how I fit into the Jewish people. I go back to Disney. I'm working on Mulan. I work on Mulan for three years. After Mulan, we're about to work on the movie Tarzan. And we have a break. It's called Downtime. They're figuring out the script. Animators like me are coming into work with nothing to do. Wow. It's awesome. <laughs> Downtime goes from a week to, to six months. They even said to us, Mayor, you don't have to come into work anymore. We'll let you know when there's work. They're paying me full time. So what do I do every day with my friends? I ride roller coasters, man. Oh, what a life. Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain. We're going to the Disney hotels. There's over 15 hotels in Disney World. And I'm in this lazy river on my back. You know, floating around, pina colada in my hand, everything sure. I could have wanted. Mm. You know, my brother's in law school, freezing. He's like, what are you up to these days? I'm like, Jay, you don't want to know. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I, had, I had everything I could have wanted. And then I got out of the pool and realized there has to be more. I'm going to Israel to find out about that yeshiva program. I go to Israel. I'm on a uh, 10-day program called Israelite. Today, it's a yeshiva program called Oraita. And it's run by two incredible rabbis, Rabbi David Aaron and Rabbi Benny Friedman. Mm. And I David in, Aaron, he has a couple of great books out there. Oh, yeah. He's got yeah. Endless Light and Seeing God, incredible, yeah. prolific incredible. author. Yes. And uh, an amazing person for understanding relationships and God and, and all parts of life. And I remember uh, Rev Benny walked in. He speaks to us for 15 minutes. And in those 15 minutes, what he said changed the course of the rest of my life. Here's what he said. He talked about mezuzah on the doorway. Yeah. And he said, what's a mezuzah? I'm like, it's the thing on the doorway. I know. I went to Hebrew school. My parents had one. He's like, what's it for? I'm like, well, isn't it, you know, to guard your house from evil spirits? I really didn't know what it was for. He goes, well, what's inside? I'm like, I don't know. A paper? Is there something? On? I don't know. He's like, inside is written the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. It's a line from the Torah itself. And he says, I want you to imagine that the Torah is a love letter from God to humanity. And God tells us in this letter, you know what I want you to do? I want you to take my words and I want you to put them on your doorway. If you get a letter from the creator of the world, I can promise you, you're not putting it on your doorway. <laughs> you're going to be like putting it under a glass jar with a laser security system. You're going to, you know, Instagram that, Snapchat that, social media. You're not going to be like, honey. I got this letter from God, you know, let's put it on a doorway. It doesn't make sense. And this is what Benny said, the rabbi. He says, a mezuzah is not a thing that you put on your doorway. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity before I go out into the world. I'm going out into the world. A mezuzah should remind me before I go out into the world to ask myself a question. What kind of a world do I want to create? What am I living for? You know, we come into our homes, we wipe off our feet because I want to leave the dirt out. But there's that mezuzah to remind us, hold on, I'm going into my home. What kind of a home do I want to create? What are the values I want to have in my home? Why do I need a partner to help me create a home? He basically showed me that all these, these religious things that I had known about had meaning behind them. And that Judaism prescribed these incredible tools for living. That's actually what the word Torah means. The word Torah means directions or instructions. Yeah. And the Torah the Bible is nothing less than the instruction manual for life, literally tools for living. And I was someone that always wanted to work hard to become great, to do great things. Well, now when I was searching for meaning, I said, oh, wow, that's what Judaism is. You know, me eating certain foods and not eating other foods will actually help me grow. I don't just do it to make God happy. I do it because he wants to give me greatness in my life. And that's but I wanted to embrace. I didn't want to just be Jewish anymore. I wanted to live Jewish. That's kind mm. of a, I that's, <laughs> that's tremendous. That's a huge, huge way of looking at things. It's, it's, it's the tool and the playbook to level up in life. And this is like, it's right there for us to take. That's right. And to, and instead of just like, you know, pushing away that feeling of, of like, Oh, you know, there's some emptiness and let me like just fill it up with some sort of, you know, substance or just throw myself more into work. You really chased it and, and, and look deeper inside and, and open up to your right. new reality. I incorporated is, Judaism in my life. The more I saw the positive effects it had. The more, the more I saw it helping my marriage, and I have this incredible wife, Marion, and supportive and loving, and 
how do I show love to my wife? What does Judaism say? What, what can we learn about the way Abraham treated Sarah? And there's so much that we can bring into our lives, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear more about that on your, on your I'm sure you'll be talk about that in your yeah. own podcast, Life of yeah. Awesome. And so tell me, um, you know, as we're wrapping up here, I, I do want to know t- and share with the, with, with the listeners, what are you cooking up right now? What are you excited about? Yeah. You, so yeah, again, the podcast is really exciting for me. Um, you know, first of all, I, I did, I did and do travel a lot speaking about these ideas, but because of COVID, obviously the traveling, the speaking stopped. I've, I've done a bunch of virtual Zooms, but you know, uh, I, I just want to find outlets to be able to share messages that will hopefully impact like we spoke about. And I thought the podcast would be a great forum. A lot of people have asked me over the years, oh, when's the podcast coming? And so uh, I just had a break uh, a couple uh, a months ago for for a couple weeks and I just was all in and, and worked on it a, a lot and, and and I've been writing up messages I want to do in episodes and uh, I'm so excited about it. So right now um, there's two episodes out. I don't know when, when this is going to air, but I hope your listeners go check out Life of Awesome. It's on Apple and Stitcher and wherever you listen to your podcast. And it's basically a podcast where I share you know, ideas that are based in Jewish, Jewish wisdom on how to incorporate our into our lives and make our lives awesome. You know, if somebody, uh, somebody comes up to you and says, how's your day going? Most people are like, it's okay. It's good. But if they go, uh, how's your day going? You go, Oh, my day today's great. You're like, Oh, why? What happened? Something must've happened Mm -hmm. to have made you say great. But if they come up to you and they go, how's your day? And you go, dude, my day is awesome. Like why <laughs> were you a guest on the on Mayor's podcast? Like, did you meet Mayor? <laughs> like, yes. how did you, like, what else could make it awesome? And, and the truth That's is, funny. every single day has the potential to be awesome. Every day, yeah. Right? It's funny. It's funny, Saul, because the funny thing is, is that my whole slogan is, "I'm Mayor K. Have a great day." Oh, so no. I may have to challenge you. On, I may have to challenge uh, you on the greatness of it. But I hear I do like saying okay. awesome a lot. I do, I do, I do. Okay. But well, um, for this conversation, I, I will equate great with awesome. Okay. Oh my man, I appreciate that. <laughs> so that, that's keeping me busy. Um, you know, again, I have my show at DreamWorks. I have a kid's show. It's called Madagascar. Oh, cool. A little wild. Uh, and it's, it's a great show. It deals with, with great issues that kids go through. It's a musical show. I work with the most insanely talented team and the sweetest, most wonderful people. And I've worked in Hollywood a long time, and this is one of the greatest groups of people and, and being working alongside producers who are common vision and, and goal for the culture of our show is that everyone feels respected and appreciated and uh you can see the best coming out of everyone and we want everyone to have a great experience working on our show so that's keeping me busy and then there's also i'm developing a bunch of projects uh there's actually a a holocaust animated film that i'm working on developing right now uh the longest night uh based on a true story uh um there's a there's a bunch of other there's a company called jewish interactive that i'm uh helping them develop uh, uh an educational platform so there's a lots of other uh, lots of other uh, ways that I'm looking to be able to make an impact using my, you know, abilities and, and my passions, you know, Amazing. and then working Amazing. on becoming a better father and husband, you know, that's, that's the hardest part, you know, getting through that's the, the day, biggest one. you know, the time management, going back to the time, time management. management. Yeah. Well, focus. That's that's amazing. So to end off this uh, podcast, being it's called the Great Day Podcast, what is a great day for you? Uh, a great day for me is uh, it's, it's, it's what I call a jacuzzi moment. You know, when you go into a jacuzzi, yeah. at that moment, you're not thinking of any of the pain, any of the struggle of life. It's just, ah, right? It's those moments. So um, the, the great day moment for me is are the ones where I get, just get to have the, my kids and my wife around me. And we're just, we're doing like a family dance party after Shabbat, or I see, uh, I just see my kids just thriving. Any of those moments, you know, it's really, I'm a very family oriented guy. My family grounds me. Everything I do is, uh, is, is hopefully to, to bring uh, just more joy to them also. And then also the other thing that gives me that, that great day feeling is when I see other people making an impact. It's people like you there. I mean, when I, when I get to experience that and I go, wow, there's, there's an army of people out there that want to change the world. There's nothing that inspires me more. So again, I thank you a hundred times for having me on your podcast on behalf of my family. We're all (laughs) such fans. 
you know, Thank my you. kids, I had to keep them away. They're like, we want to come on. I'm like, no. <laughs> They're like, That's great. Mayor K, you're going on Mayor K. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's you know? happening. That's my, my so- daughter, my 14, my 14, my 15 year old, 14 year old daughter, Liel. She's like, dad, now you're, now you're famous. Oh, snap. After all this, well, well, please send my love to the family. I appreciate the love and support. And so I've been watching you and I'm inspired by your way of being and how you show up to the world and using your talents for good. And uh, I look forward to shaking your hand, God willing, once the world heals a bit. Yeah, we'll hug it. High five, hug. I look forward to it. But thank you. And for all those who are listening, I have already checked out the Life of Awesome. It's a fantastic podcast. And look out for all the other incredible projects that Saul's up to as well. Saul, thank you so much. And I wish you an awesome day ahead. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Thank you, dear friends, for tuning in and listening to this Great Day Podcast episode with Saul Blinkoff. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and family. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the Great Day Podcast, rating it helps and goes a long, long way. And another fun way that you can support the podcast is by visiting patreon.com slash the great day podcast. You could have, there's some fun incentives there and it's uh, just a really great way for you to be able to help me continue creating this incredible content that's bringing so much value to so many. So thank you so much for your support throughout these months, weeks, days, seconds, milliseconds, all of it. It's such a great journey to be on with you. And I want to thank, of course, Saul for taking the time today for sharing his story and his wisdom. And tune in next Monday. Every Monday, we share a new podcast episode. So be sure to subscribe so you get those notifications. And until then, like I always say, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor K, and have a great day. <laughs>